Well, this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. We are in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan today, and I am with uh, Dalton DeVos sitting in his home. Dalton, you're one of the G3. Uh, we just had a conversation with G3 members, uh, boy, it was uh, like a couple weeks ago, and um, I felt kind of bad because it was just, I mean, you, you guys have two families that really operate like one family, but we only had one side of the family represented, so I wanted to see if we could get together and talk a little bit. Um, and you and I have talked about having a conversation about some of the cool adventures you've been on and some of the work you're doing now. Right, right. So it was good timing, but welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. We were two families, but we're really one family. Right. So, so no worries about that, but I'm <laughs> more than happy to talk about, uh, talk about some fun adventures. Cool. Yeah. Um, in fact, before, before we get started, I always like to... Uh, you know, crack a cold excess to make sure we have the right uh, positive energy flowing. You might um, want to check how cold that one is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's virtually cold. I think your dad and I had a funny exchange on uh, Instagram recently. He's, he, your dad's new. Your he dad's is. Doug DeVos. Yeah, he is. Doug and Maria are your parents. And yep. he was just, he just, who talked him into getting onto Instagram, by the way? Uh, myself and my sisters. We all, uh, we did it collectively together. It was probably about a year and a half recruitment. But we got him there eventually. Yeah. With uh, ourselves and a little bit of Amway help. Um, we finally convinced him that it, that it was worthwhile and that he could actually take some good photos and he had some good things to add. So I was really happy to get him on there. It's great to see him on and he's yeah. getting pretty strong traction uh, for his first time on. He's, he's he sure over is. 11,000 already. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Passed me very fast. <laughs> I was all excited because I'm like, oh, cool. Now I get to tag him. You know, oh, dad's on Instagram. Great. I'm going to tag him in my story. Oh, now he's got more followers than me. Well, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. helped him get there. Yeah. Well, good for you. <laughs> and and uh, just as we're getting into this, currently you're working, you, you've, you've been on a big adventure that we're going to talk about in a second, circumnavigating the world. Yeah. But you're back in West Michigan living here in Grand Rapids and working, working at Amway, is that right? That's right, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a change uh, going from traveling around the world on a boat for two years to uh, getting back here to Grand Rapids, Michigan, settling in a little bit, starting working full-time at Amway. I work in the digital department, working on the social media team. So. Oh, wow, so you actually should know how to beat your dad. I should know, yeah. I guess uh, I'd say the problem is a little bit more personal. <laughs> <laughs> A little more personal, not so much uh, knowledge, because I know what to do. It's a matter of execution, right? Yeah. So. Well, he's been out there building a fan base for, for a few years, yeah. so he's a little bit ahead of you on that. Yeah, he's got space. some practice. Yeah. No, well, that's, it's great to see, uh, see your whole family involved in digital and social media. Um, so what I, what I thought would be fun to talk about, you know, the Kick Aspirational podcast is kind of about breaking through barriers, helping people figure out how to do that in their own lives. And so what I like to try and do is bring in... Um, people to talk about how they broke through barriers in their life. Uh, and you have kind of a, you have a very interesting story, I think, about, um, and you'll have to tell me if this is, I don't, I don't know the story in, intimately. You decided that you wanted to, to sail around the world um, and you ended up figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, it, was, it was a long discussion. Um, with myself and with my parents and my grandparents, I actually, uh, don't, don't tell my parents this, but I told my grandparents first that I wanted to do it. Uh, <laughs> right. I talked to a mentor of mine and we were talking about long-term plans and he's like, you know, if there's something that you'd really want to do, you know, what, what would that be? You know, that one thing that you're just like, wow, I just love to do that. And 
I told him that, you know, for me, it was, I wanted to see the world and yeah. I wanted to see the world by boat. Oh, wow. Uh, it was something that my grandfather was able to do uh, a little bit when he was in his 20s, but also something that we did as a greater family. Right. Uh, he, got, he got a larger boat, so we were all able to join him at different uh, parts, and we would travel to all these different areas in Southeast Asia, or we'd go to South Africa, or you know, all these incredible areas. And I got to experience all that growing up, and I said, wow, I'd love to see that again and really experience it, you know, a second time. And so yeah. that's how I kind of got on this kick. And he said, well, shoot, why not do that now? <laughs> your grandpa said that. <laughs> no, well, my oh, your, grandpa your... said that as well. Yeah. But my mentor said that. And right. uh, that got my brain turning. And I said, okay, well, now i got to convince my parents. How am I going to do that? <laughs> he said, don't worry, I'll help you. So in about a month, we had a plan together. I mean, we went through it detailed. You know, we went through how, why I was doing it, what we were going to do, you know, how long it was going to take. Uh, so I presented it to my parents. And I don't think I looked up for the whole 15 minutes that I was talking to them. And then I, when I finally looked up, I looked up, I could see my mom starting to cry. And I looked over, I saw my dad, and he just kind of smiled and goes, can I come? <laughs> that was a hard sell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently it worked. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you about that. I think that's a good place to start. What was the, what was the big why? Yeah. You know, the big why was a little bit of personal development, uh, a little bit of challenging myself. You said this podcast is about breaking through barriers. Um, I think that I was raised with a lot of opportunity. Uh, I think it, that with, and with that opportunity, I think comes with a lot of responsibility. Right. Um, and I, and I kind of held myself to a lot of responsibility growing up. Uh, I did, I didn't push the boundaries very much. I was a good kid. I stayed in my lane, you know, yeah. uh, I really didn't frustrate my parents too often. Well, don't, don't ask them, but I don't think I frustrated them as much yeah. as my sisters did. <laughs> right. Um, and, but I just wanted to, yeah. yeah and, and I wanted to go out there and say, you know, I want to challenge myself. I want to see how I am under pressure. Right. I want to see what I'm like in, in some interesting situations and some difficult times and uh, what, what I'm like away from home. You know, right. and at home is a little bit of, of a bubble for me. And, and going outside of that bubble, breaking free and saying, okay, well, now I don't have anything to protect me. Who am I now? Yeah. Uh, that was that was a big reason for why I wanted to do this. Some people might say it's kind of a big bubble, right? I mean, you've got yeah, yeah. you've got a your your grand your your grandparents um, on both sides started the Amway business, which became a very large company and cast a big shadow here in, in West Michigan. Um, and if you carry the last name of Osserman Andel, there's a lot of expectations that come with that, good and bad, right? Yeah, there definitely are. You know, oh. it, it's good and it's bad. You know, it really is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to, I choose to look at it as much more of a blessing. Of course, um, yeah. it, It's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but there, there are certain things that are different, uh, certain things that are, it's a difficult, yeah, there's some things that are difficult, but it's a different kind of difficult that is hard to really explain. Right, I mean, it's, it's probably easy for, um, for people that don't have the same resources to look at everything that you kind of get born into and say, mm -hmm. wow, that would be an amazing life. And it is. Um, but I'm also guessing that, um, you know, there's also criticism and because you're in a spotlight in a way, you end up picking up um, not only people who like our distributors who are huge, enthusiastic supporters, but also people who aren't inside that same, you know, don't, don't live in the world that, that Amway's created, who, 
maybe are resentful or, or critical for reasons that can be a little bit baffling at times. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that. There's a lot of positive encouragement, and, and there's also a, there's some negative, there's some negativity out there, but uh, a lot of that stuff I just kind of choose not to engage with. It's not helpful. It's right. not helpful to, to anyone, really. Right. So um, I'm, I'm happy to see the world for, it, for what it is. I'm happy to look at reality and say, okay, no, that, that's the truth here. Yeah. But to engage on the negativity scale, it, it just doesn't help anyone. There's ants at a picnic. You don't have to stop having picnics because ants show up once in a while. Yeah, great point. Right. Yep. So, um, so this is interesting. So your, your, your uh, two grandfathers, uh, Rich and Jay, do you consider them both Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So your two grandfathers after World War II had this dream of going on a, a journey together. Um, they started a business. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but they basically started a flying company without knowing how to fly. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even have a landing strip, so they put right. pontoons on the plane. So why would right? we take advice from these guys anyways? <laughs> <laughs> start, they started flight school without knowing how to fly. Right. They decided to sail down to South America without knowing how to sail. Right. And, and, the, and they actually, uh, I think what in Cuba they had to have the boat recocked. And uh, before they got to Cuba, they actually, to they Cuba. had to have the boat recocked multiple times as they went down the coast of, uh, of the United of States. Yeah. And they got lost so many times. They, got, they went inland, and, and they weren't <laughs> even trying to. And the Coast Guard found them, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we have never seen a boat this far inland. <laughs> they were so lost, and they had no, no idea what they were doing. It's amazing they even got down to Cuba in the first place. Right. But it was when they were leaving Cuba that it just overwhelmed them. The boat was warped, even though it got caulked so many times, it didn't actually solve the problem. So right. when they left Cuba, uh, a few hundred miles off the coast, the boat actually sank. Yeah, it took on a ton of water and, and went down, correct? And they, yep. they ended up getting picked up by a, by a steamer? Yeah, luckily they were in a shipping lane, so, <laughs> so they got picked up, picked up by, a, uh, by a ship, and it carried them to Curacao, I think. Right. So and it didn't stop their journey losing the boat. No. Because the journey wasn't about a boat. Exactly. The journey was about seeing something new. And they said, okay, well, we lost the boat, but you get get the insurance money and away you go. You know, once once uh, the government in Curacao thinks, I think it was Dutch or maybe it still is. Uh, it it not, is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Dutch, it is still uh, Dutch. Dutch. Dutch West. Dutch. But they were they were a little skeptical of, of uh, Grandpa and Jay yeah. because Jay spoke fluent Dutch. Oh, and wow. they were Americans, but they just somehow ended up on this ship, and their story was really hard for them to believe. So they actually held them for a couple of days and didn't give them their passports back. Right. Because well, they thought they might have been Soviet spies. Because, well, it was after World War, post-World War II. Yeah. The Cold War was just heating up. Exactly. And, I mean, what a strange set of circumstances to have these two West Michiganders. So strange. <laughs> you know, my, my dad was telling me, um, you're, so your you're Grandpa Rich... And his dad worked for two of my great uncles at a men's department store, um, I think before this time. But when they came back, they had a movie about their trip. And I think my dad must have been about eight years old. He's in his late 70s now. And he said to me, he said, the thing you have to understand is that nobody in West Michigan, and probably no one in the United States, was going on these kind of aggressive sailing adventures. And he said, when they came back, he said, for an eight-year-old kid in West Michigan, he said, it was like going to the moon. He goes, they were, you know, they would show this movie. All these people would show up. It was really, really remarkable. Um, And I I saw you, I was with your grandpa at at the Christmas party a few years ago. And he he called me over and said, hey, uh, your your dad was like, hey, David, my dad wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't do it. But the... um, I went over there and he said, hey, you know, we've 
got a little history between our families. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I know you guys, you and your dad work for my great uncles and, you know, um, and we were talking about that a little bit. And I said, do you still have that movie? I would kill to have that movie because the stories you and me both the excess brand we talk about all the time like the legacy of adventure and entrepreneurship that that your grandpa's created that we're trying to you know really remember and, and renew and uh, he said that that he, he didn't know where it was and your dad said they've looked for it for years but it may have gotten thrown out or destroyed they've, they've looked for it for decades yeah and uh, unfortunately we, we can't find it and it is it's heartbreaking to me, I mean, that is, if I could go back in time, that, that's the one thing that I would take back with me. Grab that. I, yeah. I would absolutely love to see that film and see what they were doing, how they expressed it, you know, what the things that... Grandpa narrate it. Oh yeah, God. how yeah. he narrated it, you know, what they captured on film. It'd be just an incredible picture, an incredible glimpse into what they were able to learn on that trip. What a journey. So, so fast forward. So now we're, how old were you when you decided you wanted to go on your journey? When I decided I want to go, I was 22, I believe. Okay. Yep. And so we, were you in college, out of college? I was graduating? in college. Okay. Yeah, I was in college. And then uh, for the next two years is when I kind of planned the trip, got the boat, and tried to figure out the crew, figure out where I wanted to go, general overview. Just, um, you don't just jump in a boat and decide to go around the world. No, no. So that took about two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, I was going to college at the same time, too. So, yeah. And where were you um, going to school? I was going to Grand Valley State University. Oh, cool. Right, right here so in here West, West Michigan. Michigan. Yep. Good school. Loved the school. Yeah, really great business school there. So you're planning this, and now a lot of us, I'm, you know, I grew up on boats, too, and I've always thought this idea of going around the world would be amazing. Haven't quite figured out how to do it yet. But, you know, um, I noticed that when you told the story in the local paper where there's a lot of spotlight on your families, there was some criticism. Um, you know, rich kid getting in a boat. Uh, I'd like you to actually walk us through the difficulty yeah. of this journey because, um, you know, for people who haven't been on boats very much or done a lot of blue water crossings, don't understand how dangerous and difficult it is. You know, it, it may seem like, you know, jumping on the love boat and, uh, and going on a cruise, but this is not what this was about at all. Is that right? Yeah, no, not at all. And I knew it would be one of the first things that would pop into somebody's mind who doesn't know me, you know, mm -hmm. to hear about this trip, they'd go, oh, well, of course, you know, probably had a crew of 15, he didn't have to do any work, they just went around and drank and partied, and, on oh, you know, when they there. went across the ocean, he was probably, you know, flying from one place to the next and meeting the boat there, but that's, I designed that into the trip from the beginning, that I was going to be on watch. I was going to be as responsible as anybody else. And I had a crew of three and then you know, four, including myself, a captain, an engineer, and then uh, my buddy and myself were the deckhands. And we all did everything. And I mean, we all drove the, the boat at certain times. And You're actually making those, I mean, th those points to points. The boat You're actually on the boat in the blue water. The boat with, didn't right? progress without me on it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and can you take us on a, a just a kind of... Walk us through what those points of contact with land sure. were. Yeah, so we started in Fiji, which was not a bad place to start, to be honest. That was fantastic. But we uh, found the boat in New Zealand. Okay. And that's why we started in Fiji. Because it, it? it was easy, yeah. and Fiji was a good spot to start and end. The captain's father was living in Fiji at the same time, so that was a really nice uh, um Nice parallel. That's, that's, that's your point of departure and the point that you came back so to. Th exactly. Yep. So that was the point of departure and exactly where we finished. We actually docked in the same slip that we left from. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Two years later. Two years and one month later. And, and what were the kind of the, the main 
points either. So when we start, we started in Fiji and we went west from there. Uh, we went through Vanuatu, we went through in Indonesia, uh, kind of Sri Lanka, Maldives, down kind of around Madagascar, uh, hit Africa a couple times, went into South Africa. We spent a lot of time in South so Africa. You went, from, you went from the Southern Pacific Ocean up to uh, Southeast Asia, and then you crossed bit, down yep. to Africa. Yep. To Madagascar. So, yep. so Maldives are kind of in between southern India and, and, and southern Africa. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then where'd you go from there? Well, we went for, to South Africa and then we crossed the Atlantic from there. Uh, first, we went up to Namibia to give us a little bit better angle getting across. Uh, we stopped at St. Helena, an island in the middle of the Atlantic, which is where Napoleon was exiled. I was going to say, wasn't Napoleon there for That was yeah. an amazing place. I, I Some of my favorite photos from the trip were just from the two or three days that we spent there. And we were so sick of being at sea. It was like a week and a half at sea before we got halfway wow <laughs> and uh we, we got there and we're like okay we need to do something athletic like we've been sitting on our butts the whole time yeah we need to start moving we need to move the legacy and there was a massive they call it jacob's ladder and it is um like 700 stairs going up mountain going side. up the mountainside yeah. and we made sure that we did that as many times as possible to just make sure our blood was flowing you know, yeah. keep us kind of relatively in shape for <laughs> the, the next week and a half yeah. uh, over to Rio so mm. then we went to Brazil went so, uh, so south from Brazil St. Helena that's halfway between Africa halfway and between South Africa America. and South America exactly oh, wow. boy they yep. really didn't like uh, Napoleon no, they really didn't. They sent him a long way away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he rode his horse. They, he, they tell a story that he rode his horse to every corner of the island, and he just got so sick of it, and he actually did end up dying young. So Right. Uh, yeah. was poisoned, I think, ultimately. Is that right? I don't know exactly. There's some dispute there's, there. Yeah, yeah, there's some speculation. Mm -hmm. So you end up, so you went to Rio from there. We went to Rio from there. Yep. How, was, how was Rio? Rio was fantastic. That was an awesome place. We walked around. Uh, you know, it was relatively safe, at least from, from our perspective. Yeah. Um, but again, there were, you know, four guys walking around that look a little disheveled. You know, we, we don't look like anything special. Did you have a, any facial hair at this point? At that point, no. But okay. I did grow my beard out for a year <laughs> from the beginning of the trip until South Africa. That was about a year. Okay. Um, and, and I grew it out until I, <laughs> we got to South Africa and we're starting to talk to people. And I realized that people don't really want to talk to me. And then I can't figure <laughs> out why. And then it dawned on me. I know exactly why. I think I got to get rid of this beard. It was the worst looking thing in the world. <laughs> Whew, man, I, I think I saw a photo of this. It, uh, what color did it come in? It came in a bit reddish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I'd like to say blonde, but no, it was. It was a little bit. Because you've got blonde hair, but red. you never know with your beard, right? It, you never it know. Come in different colors. Oh, no, yeah. I found out. <laughs> I found out, and there's photo evidence, and it's bad. We're gonna have to see if I, we can share some of those pictures. Whew, uh, I think there might be one or two on my Instagram. But. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I try to keep those. <laughs> try to keep those uh, personal. And then, where did you go from Rio? You went. Uh, you continued your journey. We, can, right? we continued south from Rio. We went down to uh, Uruguay and Argentina, went to Buenos Aires, and then from there we went straight down to the Falklands, or if you're in Argentina, you call it the Malvinas. Oh right, it depends um, which, if you're English or, or uh, yeah. Exactly. It depends where which, you're, which who you're around, around and where you're, <laughs> where you're coming from. Right. Um, so it's funny, when you leave uh, Argentina, you're not actually cleared out. And then when you come back into Ushuaia down there in the southern tip, uh, it's like the furthest south city in, in Argentina. It's a good city. Down near um, Tierra del Fuego? Or is yeah, it? down in Tierra yeah. del Fuego. Um, they don't actually clear you in either because they think you never actually cleared out. Oh, wow. But... When you come into the Malvinas or the Falklands, you clear into England. Wow. Oh, because they actually want, I mean, 
because they won that war in they the won 80s. War. Yeah. Yeah. Go Reagan. So it's it's really interesting. Uh, it was it was a really strange dynamic. We had to kind of watch yeah. our uh, watch our political sensitivities. Sure. Um, but it was it was an incredible time. And then from the Falklands, that we used that as our launching point to get down to Antarctica. Oh wow! And we didn't know if we'd be able to get down there or not until we were in South Africa. And then we spent the whole time from South Africa all the way into the Falklands doing paperwork, getting together a bunch of uh, uh, paperwork and approvals that needed to be done uh, with the Antarctic Treaty before we could get down there. Because, oh, I see. I was wondering if it was about the weather, but it was about the clearance. It's to... always about the weather. Yeah. But yeah, no, you, you need to be cleared. You need to have a, a legitimate uh, permit from the Antarctic Treaty to get down there. Oh, wow. And they didn't like us necessarily at the forefront because we were not a steel hold ship. Okay. Um, it, but, you know, eventually they realized that our, our hull was very thick fiberglass. Which is uh, as strong as steel. Which is super strong, yeah. I mean, it's not as strong as steel, but, you know, the thickness of it, I mean, we, we weren't really going to have any problems. So we, we were confident going down there, and eventually they, they let us through, and we followed a nice large ship down there through as we the knew ice. that if, yeah. you know, if there was any bad weather or anything on the way, an iceberg or whatnot, we knew we could call them. Yeah. Uh, we made friends with them in... Uh, uh, in the Falklands and at Port Stanley, I think it was called, because there's not that many people there, and yeah. there's a big boat there that has a crew of like, you know, fifteen to twenty people, maybe even more. <laughs> You're like, oh hey, <laughs> let's talk. Let's bring some rum we, and excess over to these. Yeah, guys. exactly. Yeah. We did actually. <laughs> we, we actually invited a, a, a lot of them back onto Reliance, my boat, oh, cool. uh, for some uh, some some excess in vodka, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've I've I have uh, done a number of sailing trips. I haven't done extensive ones like yours, but. Whenever you want to make friends with a neighboring boat, uh, a bottle of uh, something festive and some excess will get you a long way. So. A long way. And yeah. everyone loves it. Everyone. Seriously. There wasn't a single person that we gave a, an excess in vodka or rum or whatever it is. And not a single person came back and said, oh, I don't really like that. Everyone loved it. It was the easiest door opener. <laughs> For real. I'm like, oh, well, let me talk to you about all this other stuff. It's wonderful. Yeah. And they were super receptive. Yeah, no, yeah. that's great. Yeah, it was incredible. That's really so, cool. So um, then, then we went down to Antarctica, and I was nervous about this part from the beginning. It's known as the roughest seas in the world. The uh, Roaring 40s. And, yeah, the Roaring yeah. 40s. But also you have the Antarctic Peninsula coming up and South America coming down. And it's just the rough seas get funneled right through there. The rough seas and the wind gets funneled through there. And it can be just absolutely heinous. Gets amplified. And so we, we found a good weather window. Actually, we found a fantastic weather window for our way down. Uh, it was dead calm. Oh, wow. Glass water, but wow. foggy as could be. And we were petrified of uh nice. of running into icebergs and i mean we didn't go fast we went our maximum speed was 10 10 or 12 knots right so that's like 15 miles per hour maximum and that's if you want to burn all of your fuel in like one day and this is you know this boat can carry enough fuel that if you run at say six miles an hour or six uh knots then you can get from costa rica to french polynesia oh wow so Maybe we should talk about the boat for a second. So what, what boat did you actually, what's the size? It was a Nordhaven 76. So it's a, and Nordhavens are famous for blue water crossings. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of them only They're have expedition one. expedition style. Expedition you know, boats. Yeah. And most of them only have boats. one, a lot of them only have one screw, right? Only one A lot propeller. of them only have one propeller, one engine. Yep. Uh, ours had two, which we were really happy about yeah. because we, we lost one for a good chunk of time. Yeah. Uh, until we had a part that my sisters actually brought into uh, Ecuador. What was the part? Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. Was it but for the it, engine or the prop? It was for the, the engine. Okay. And it, uh, 
it it seriously looked like a bomb. Oh my! It God. was shaped like a bomb, and it had wires coming off of it. <laughs> and the customs agents in Ecuador were not happy about it. But yeah. we needed this if we wanted to get from Ecuador from the Galapagos up to Costa Rica, so I could get home from my other sister's wedding. Oh wow! So. They, they were able to get it in finally, you know, that cost them and they paid, they paid ahead of time, but it cost them an extra, you know, half of whatever they paid in the beginning, uh, just to, just to get it there. Yeah. So thankfully we got that, but That's we, awesome. we needed that second engine. And, um, so, and how, how, how long was it from, how, how long was the boat? How many feet? The boat was 76 feet. 76 feet. So yeah. it's a 76 foot Nordhaven at Nordhaven. And, uh, how many cabins did it have on it? So each of, each of us crew had our own room, thankfully. Uh, but when we had guests on board, we had to share, or I'd let my parents, if when they came and visited me, they'd stay in, in the master, and then I'd go downstairs and stay with uh, the engineer or whomever. Yeah. Um, we had one kind of guest room, but it always smelled like fuel because it was right next to the engine room. Yeah. So no one really wanted to stay there. Not so pleasant. No, not so pleasant. But luckily, I mean, it was, you know, they used up every single foot that they possibly could in that sure. boat, um, most of, mostly for fuel, but but also for, uh, for storage. And I mean, we had a lot of freezer space, so we caught fish all the time. That was a, that was an awesome experience too. Cause I, I'm not really that much of a fisherman. That was another one of those things. I honestly, I didn't like touching the fish, Right, right. <laughs> it, not just like cleaning it, but touching it. it I didn't want to touch it. And by the end of the trip, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I was cleaning it. I was reaching, <laughs> grabbing the heart out and you know, did that, you, did you eat the heart out of any of them? Uh, not raw, but we did. Yes, we did, and um, it wasn't very good. No, that's <laughs> not the. No, it wasn't very not good. One of the best the sushi meat, pieces. I'd stick with the meat. You know. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, so that was great. But uh, I think that you know when we Antarctica was an incredible experience, but we were down there for three weeks, and on the way back we had some of the roughest. I would say the roughest seas that we had the entire trip. Wow, how big were the? Our seas? weather window was was very small and if we didn't leave when we left we were going to be stuck down there for another couple of weeks and our permit had already run out we requested a couple of days extension because of weather which they're amenable to but you know you, you can't overstay your welcome yeah um and, and we had probably 10 or 12 meter seas Jeez. and uh the wind was blowing 60 knots so that's 30 to 40 foot seas yeah yep right yeah and then, uh, yeah, the wind was blowing about 60 knots, so somewhere around like 80 miles per hour. Which is more than a gale. It's, you're almost in a mini hurricane, right? I think a gale's about 60. Yeah, yeah, something right? like that. I, I, don't, it's, know, it's I blowing, don't know. It's blowing like crazy. But it is, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, the boat is, uh, it's healing over like a sailboat because of how windy it is. Right. Um, and we were going straight into the swell, and we were smashing into it really hard. And uh, I had water coming into my cabin at pretty much every spot. Um, I had to close off my study area because it was just pouring in with water. It was all covered in, wow. in, in salt water. It was pretty much just And that's because the hatches are, are just... The hatches were just blowing open. Wow. I mean, they just... Not because of the wind, but because of the rush of water coming over the bow and across the deck. It would actually stuff. pick up the yeah the cover. Wow. So pick, it would pick up the hatch. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's a little scary. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't ideal. I mean, obviously it's Antarctica, so it's freezing too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, it. Was about a two-day trip down, but we left to go back north from further south. So it was about a four-day trip north, 
and it didn't let up the entire time. Oh, wow. So you had four and days. And that was a good weather window. Oh, jeez. That was four days of... of uh... It was four days of no sleep and just pounding. Uh, you didn't really want to eat, but you had to do your three-hour watch. So there were four of us on board, and we split up our watches for three hours each, right? I'm on for three. Somebody else is on for three. Somebody else is on for three. Somebody else is on for three. And I'm on for three more, right? right. So you have... In 24 hours, you have six hours of watch. Right. So you've got um, to try and get some sleep and eat something in between those, those yeah, watch, those yeah. watch periods. Try. <laughs> yeah, do Honestly, your best. access bars were our, our, uh, our sustenance that entire time because you didn't have to make it. <laughs> yeah, and right. it was, it was enough sustenance that, uh, you could get through the day, but you know, not too much to the point where you're like, oh man, I really, Might I'm going to puke up. now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I, I'm guessing that, so you had five crew, is that right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I had, so I had three crew plus me, so four. Four of you total. Yeah, four of us total. And, and did you and have any had... difficulty? I mean, sometimes when you're on blue water crossings, people can get a little different. <laughs> you know, they can change behavior. Yeah, um, did you have true. any difficulty with any of the crew? Did you have to change anybody out? You know, we, we did have, um, we, there's always difficulty. You know, yeah. you're, you're going, I mean, the longest time that we were at sea was uh, three weeks, going from Costa Rica to the Marquesas, uh, about 3,500 miles. And no internet really. Um, we had a little satellite phone that you could message back and forth, but everybody could read your messages. So who are you going to message? Really? I mean, my mom, like, hi, love you. And then everybody else is going to give me crap for it. Right, like, right, right. Okay. I guess I'm not going to so, do that. So, no so you're, you're pretty much disconnected from the world for three weeks and wow. you only have yourself, your chores and the other three guys with you who are already annoying you to no end. Um, but it, or, you know, I'll be, I'll be candid about this. You know, early on in the trip, um, I actually hired my captain and his girlfriend, and as, as a captain and a and a chief stewardess kind of role. Right. And and then it was so it was them two, and then myself and my friend who were kind of we were deckhands, and it just didn't it wasn't really that good of a fit. Um, you what know, was and, the issue? And, I, and it's that was the hardest one of the hardest things for me to do was to admit that I I made a mistake in that sense and. The captain was the first guy that I interviewed, and honestly, I couldn't have been happier with with choosing him, but I didn't really know how to vet the relationship, right? right. And, and I thought that I wanted a couple running this trip, and as I look back on it now, I don't actually, you know, I, I don't think that a couple was the right choice. Sure. Uh, it would have been better to find somebody who was single, which in the end, that's what it turned out to be, but... So you don't have um, the dynamic it, it lasted of relationship for, in the boat. Is that kind of the issue? Yeah, exactly. And and you're it was difficult. I mean, you're I I, I really felt for her because she's on a boat with three guys. Right. In re- very remote parts of the world, which is what we wanted to do. I mean, if you're going around the world on a boat, you don't want to go into the big cities that you can visit any time. Right. You want to go to the most remote places. You want to go to these villages that nobody else is really going to go to. You're going to go to these reefs that are really hard to get to. Right. Uh so she didn't have any any real community around her or to talk to and we weren't really that much that that helpful as you know we can we're about as helpful as guys could be um and unfortunately it just didn't work and it didn't really work for their relationship either yeah so there was a bit of a you know a, a bit of a uh contention when we got to bali area and we we made a decision to move forward and uh, my, my cousin, Ben, uh, Vanderweide was on the boat at the time. Oh yeah. Ben's and so luckily when we made that change, he was able to fill in as a fourth person because you really need four people, no matter what their skill sets are, you really need four people to run that boat. Right. Uh, we were, I would say we were running the entire time for, yeah. at a relatively minimum, 
uh, capacity. And that's with all of us working, you know, full time. I mean, these are your, these are your best friends. These are also your worst enemies, but they're also your coworkers and you, you live with them. They're your family. Sure. So, so it wasn't that she was a bad person, but, but she, not at all, but there's, you know, no, she was, she was a wonderful person. It pe- just didn't people work. Have to, yeah. The, the dynamics have to work. And when yeah. they don't work, then you have to find somebody who can, who can fit that. Yeah. And, and honestly, we, we were extremely lucky that that was the only change that we, that we had to make. Uh, I was told by many experienced people in the yachting industry that crew turnover is going to be an issue. You're running a two year trip. Oh with yeah. Constant, constant move, um, moving. No one's going to be able to keep up with that pace. And, in the end, you know, we, with the engineer that we got on, he came on in the Seychelles. So relatively early, but, you know, about, a, I'd so say, six months into the trip, something like that. And, uh, man, he just fit the bill. And we were all aligned on the final goal. And right. I think that's what kept us going. Um, we found ways to, to work with each other. The captain was South African. Yeah. The engineer was uh, from New Zealand, so he's a Kiwi. Yeah. And then my buddy and myself were Americans. And so you had three distinctly different cultures, even though we all spoke English. Very, but very different parts of the very world. Very different yeah. cultures, very different ways of, of, uh, of resolving conflict, of leading, of making decisions. So we had to find ways to, to, to work with that, right? To... to, to Put your ego aside and, and bend towards what's what's good for the trip, right? How are we going to finish this thing out and and at the same time keep my sanity? Right. So, well, hopefully make it enjoyable, right? Have great oh, yeah. relationships that last. And we had, yeah. we had so much fun. They're, they're my best friends to this day. They're incredible people. And while I, I'm just so, so lucky to have had them on that trip, I, I can't tell you. Well, it sounds like it was an incredibly uh, transformational journey. Um, if you don't mind, tell me like tell me about some of the. From my experience, when sometimes when you're on, particularly like a, an adventure or boat trips, the, yeah. some of the worst things that happen become some of the most memorable things. Um, oh yeah. That's, what's what are a couple like? Tell me what what was the scariest thing that happened? What was you know, Nexus? We like to talk about scaring yourself a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. What's one of the scariest things that happened? I'll tell you. I'll tell you two stories. One okay. was more scaring myself. Yeah. Uh, because other people on the trip, the captain and my buddy Mitch, were very outgoing. Um, they were more than happy to get into things that I wasn't really that excited to get into. You know, I didn't want to push my boundaries very far, and they really helped me helped me break out of that. One early example was in um, was in uh, the Solomon Islands, and there's this bat cave that you could go into. And I was like, really Man. quickly, where are the Solomon Islands? Solomon Islands are just south of Vanuatu, so they're just kind of uh, mm, south of Fiji somewhere. They're east of Papua New Guinea. Okay. Yep. So just before you get to Indonesia, that area. Yes, exactly. Okay. So <laughs> there's a nice back cave that you can go into, and it's really cavernous, and you can read all about it in the uh, in the in the guides. And okay, I guess we're gonna do this. And I was petrified i really did not want to go in there but they're all going in there they're ready to go they're charging through because of the bats i i did not want to go and come face to face with the bat there's just too much that could go wrong what if i get bit what i just don't want a bat flying into my face okay yeah and then at one point early on that we had a you know the whole cave's covered in bat guano just bat droppings right and early on you had to go down into some water and which was about neck deep 
and you're kind of wading through, and then you have stalactites or mites. I don't really know which one. Formations Hang. from the ceiling pointing down. Yeah, yeah. from the ceiling pointing down, and you have, to, you have to avoid those yeah. as you're kind of walking on this bat guano. It's submerged in water. Oh, by the way, the bats are flying at your face this entire time. As you're neck deep in water. Oh, as you're neck deep in water with the ceiling right above <laughs> I did not enjoy that very much at all. But once you got to the other side, it was an incredible cavern, and I, I can still picture it very vividly to this day. I mean, I saw some incredible stuff, but that was one where I was just like, whoa, okay. I'm so far outside of my boundaries that I just have to go with it. Yeah, just follow the leader. Yeah. Would you go in again? Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'd do the same one again because I know what's on the other end. Right, right, right. right. Somebody trying to get me to go in and do another bat cave. Like, no, I've already done that. That's yeah. cool. I don't need to do it again. You know, I'll push my boundaries somewhere else. Not check there. that off the list. So That's... that was more of the personal side. From a um, from a group perspective, one of the most terrifying experiences we had was in the Marquesas, and it was blowing thirty five knots. We're anchored. So this is in the in the islands French of Polynesia. Tahiti, French Polynesia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the furthest uh, east islands in French Polynesia. It kind of goes like so. You go like from the Society Islands, like uh, Papahete and yep. and Bora Bora. People right around Tahiti, of. there. Yeah. Tuamotus are the next chain, and Tuamotus the are above it, that, right? Exactly. Or yeah, but it's more uh, it's more east, not east. necessarily okay. above. But okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, but it's it's an incredible place. That was one of the places that I was able to go to with my grandfather on his boat back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I told myself from that day, and I was young, you know, and I knew from that day I needed to go back. And it did not disappoint. I absolutely love visiting that place. The people were incredible. Um, (laughs) Don't tell my mother as well. We also got tattoos there. (laughs) She knows. She knows. Don't worry. We're not sneaking this faster. Welcome to Tahiti. Have a nice day. I didn't tell her ahead of time. And then I sent her a photo and she goes, I have no words. What did what did what did you get as a tattoo? <laughs> I got a, I got a compass on my side. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, with some uh, Marquesan symbols around it, like the sun, some waves, and, it's, yeah. and it's, I don't see any neck tattoos. So it's no neck tattoo. It's, no, it's no. Like... I thought about getting a face tattoo, but I, I figured my I figured my mom wouldn't approve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there can yeah there can be only one Mike Tyson. So, so yeah, you get right? uh, so you got a, a, a compass tattoo on your side. That's that's great. I did. I mean, that sounds I, like a fun. You know, the compass was kind of our logo for the boat as well. Okay. And that's that's why I wanted to do it. It's something that reminds me of an incredible journey, an incredible accomplishment. Right. Um. And so I feel like that's something I'm going to be happy with you know, through the rest of my life. And I, I thought the design was really cool. And that's awesome. Yeah, that, that was an awesome experience. But when we were there, point is, yeah, sorry, <laughs> when, we were, we're when we were there, yeah. um, we're anchored in this bay and we're all about to go ashore. And we did this all the time. All four of us would leave the boat, we lock it up, and we go ashore. Make sure she was anchored. You know, we were very confident in that. We'd been doing this for, you know, it was, I mean, at this point, we were three quarters of the way through the trip. So we knew what we were doing and we're about to leave the boat, but the engine on the tender wouldn't start. So we're giving the engineer a lot of crap, like, oh, how are you supposed to, you know, get this boat around the world if you can't even fix the engine on the tender? uh, He wasn't having any of it. So (laughs) we, we were enjoying ourselves, but then we hear this loud bang and we look around like, what was that? And we thought there had been a log that came into us, another boat that hit us. We couldn't figure it out. There was nothing around except the little boat that was anchor, you know, moored a little ways behind us. Uh, so we're running around trying to figure out what's going on. And then we realized that that boat that's moored behind us is actually getting closer. So we're like, oh, no, it was the anchor chain. You're the drifting. anchor chain, the chain had snapped. 
That's really strange. You don't. And that's chains so strange. Don't, it, chain, the rope yeah. might break, but a, a chain typically doesn't. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of having an anchor chain instead right. of a rope. Right. It won't break like that. Right. So that that really shouldn't happen, but it did, and we were able to quickly start the engines, throw it in gear, and luckily on the Nordhavens you have two anchors out the bow, okay. and we were able to drop the other anchor, and we we you know took a deep breath, said, okay, cool, that was a close one. All right, let's go ashore. Yeah. But imagine if that if that engine on the tender hadn't started or had started and we had all been ashore and the anchor chain had snapped then. And the, and the Marquesas, the trip would be over. Right. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, the Marquesas are basically like mountaintops that come out of the sea. Yeah. So there's nothing. That's why it's so gorgeous. There's nothing for your boat to drift into. If it goes, it's gone. It's straight, straight into the rocks, you know, Oh, it's going into the rock. Sorry. Yeah. So the boat, the hull would be destroyed. Yeah, the hull, the hull would just be absolutely uh, demolished. demolished. There's no, uh, there's no continuing from that. You could probably scavenge stuff from the boat, but Boat's you're done. not, you're not taking that any further. You know, wow. that that whole essence of the circumnavigation is gone. Um, but it'd be an interesting story nonetheless. But I'm really <laughs> glad it didn't happen. Yeah, it would have uh, ended the way your grandfather's trip did. At one point, we also took off half of our port side stabilizer. That was that was me driving. How did that happen? Uh, we, well, we were going through the Falklands, and I was on the line that the captain maps out on the navigation system, and he says if you follow that line, we should be good. And according to the charts, that line would have been fine. We had about 10 or 15 meters of water below the boat. Uh, and then I saw on the depth sounder, the, the bottom start to rise and I'm like, oh no, this is not good. So I throw it back into neutral, but we're already, you know, cruising. This Momentum. is a heavy boat, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you can't, you, there's no brake lights. There's no uh, <laughs> brake pedal on a, on a boat. So we hit it pretty good. Uh, it didn't quite come to the surface, so we, it wasn't what like it stopped hit? us or anything. We hit a rock pinnacle. Okay. And it was just a pinnacle of rock that was, that was jutting up and we, we hit it pretty good and it took off about half the stabilizer. Oh geez. Luckily we were still able to keep going. Uh, we weren't as well stabilized from that side <laughs> for a while. Um, so we went from... What's a stabilizer? Uh, the stabilizer is what keeps, it's like two fins that hang off the bottom of the boat yeah. and they move based on how the boat's moving. Um, they keep the boat relatively stable. And when they don't work, when they're just kind of sitting still, the boat waddles a lot. It, it rolls rocks. a lot from side to side. So when you put the stabilizers on, it reduces that roll and makes it a lot more of a comfortable kind of surf. It's why trawlers would have, like, which you know, the old fishing boats would have those little sails, right? Which yes, would, which exactly. Would that would like function a as a stabilizer. Yeah. Yep. Um, we used to call Bertram's barf trams because they, in the pre-stabilizer <laughs> they days, they just they have a lot of roll in them. Um, oh, the no offense to Bertram, they're great, motion. great hulls, great boats, but uh, sometimes they roll a little bit. So, um, so, you, so what what happened then? So you you blew out your part of your stabilizer. Can you can you drive the boat without that? Yep, you can drive it just fine. We actually didn't uh, we didn't fix that stabilizer. We didn't replace it until we got up to Costa Rica. Oh wow. So we went all the way from the Falklands through Patagonia, all the way up Antarctica. to Costa Rica. Uh, no, not through Antarctica. We went down from the Falklands to Antarctica, and okay. then we went back from Antarctica to the Falklands. Oh, okay. We figured that was a better angle rather than going straight up to Ushuaia. We wanted to have the wind a little bit more behind us. Got it. Turns out that the weather didn't like that plan, and they decided to hit us <laughs> on the nose anyways. And then you ended up taking, you dip around the, is that the Cape of Good Hope or Cape? Uh, Cape Horn. Cape Horn. So yep. you just dip around Cape Horn, yep. and then you're... Going back up the Chile, mm-hmm. Chilean side. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, you, so you, and you got the stabilizer fixed, I assume. We did. And then you could continue. Yep. So, 
I mean, this is like an, it's an amazing journey. You've written about this in, there's a magazine article that, that covered this, is that right? Yeah, the, a writer for Power and Motor Yacht magazine uh, actually came down to visit us when we finished the trip in Fiji. Right. And he spent a couple days with the other guys on the crew, um, really trying to get a, a read on the story. And then uh, when he got home, he did a bunch of phone calls and interviews with all of us. I think I probably talked to him six or seven times, sent him everything that I had written, you know, blog posts, personal posts, anything to give him a little bit more of the context of why, why we were doing this and what we did. Because I think that what we did was an incredible accomplishment, and I'm so proud of everybody involved. Um, I think, honestly, yes, we made it around the world, but I think that the greatest accomplishment of this entire trip was keeping everybody together and, and ending this trip, really, as a family. That's what I'm most proud of. That's awesome. And so, that, that, that article is in the June 2018 Power and Motor Yacht Cruising Special. Is that yes. Right? Yeah, and that's actually got us on the cover as well. That's awesome. I'm Fun fact, at... I took that with an iPhone. It's a beautiful photo. Yeah, the cover photo is taken with an iPhone. It looks gorgeous. It's an incredible reflection shot. Still water. There's a mountain behind you. Where is that, where's that photo taken? That was in uh, Patagonia. Oh, my gosh. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Looks like it looks like you're you're in a lake in the middle of, like, you know, the, like the desert it or does. something. It does. Yeah, it's it does. Really it's cool. incredibly calm. Just so you, in the fjords there. It's wonderful. So you had this amazing trip. It took two years. Um, did your... You've lost both your grandparents since that time. Did one of your grandparents or both of them pass away while yeah. you were on the trip? So the reason that the writer came and spent a couple of days with the other guys on the boat when we got to Fiji was because when we were in Tonga, I heard that grandma had, had fallen ill and that I should start coming home. Uh, we, we figured out that the fastest way home was actually to run two or three days to Fiji and then get on the flight out of Fiji that next day. Okay. Um, so that's what, that's what we ended up doing. And about halfway from Tonga to Fiji, oh. uh, my dad sent me a text through the satellite phone and said, Hey, give me a call. So my, um, so my buddy Mitch told me, he said, Hey, your dad just sent you a message. He wants you to call him. He knew what it meant. Yeah. I knew what it meant. I finished cleaning what I was cleaning and went outside to get some privacy, but it's windy. And I mean, right. there's really no privacy on that boat. So. Yeah, so I gave him a call, and he told me that she'd passed, and uh, I was actually talking to, trying to talk to my mom over the satellite connection, and it was bad. And I just said, Mom, I'll, I'll call you later. I can't hear you right now. And then I could hear somebody come in the room somehow. And I'm like, okay, that, that was interesting. Well, how can I hear this, but I can't hear my mom? And then Dad said, hey, you know, Grandpa just got in here. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, man, I, I can't hear Mom. How, long gonna, how am I going to be able to hear Grandpa? Like, right. this is going to be difficult. Okay, well, let, let's try it, right? And it just came through clear as day. Oh, wow. The entire conversation was just so clear. And Grandpa, Grandpa comes on and says, Hey, Dalton, what are you, where are you right now? I'm so proud of you. You guys are almost finished, aren't you? And I'm like, Grandpa, like, I'm, I'm on my way home. You know, I'll, I'm going to be home soon. And you know, I'm here for you. I love you. And all he wanted to do was talk about the trip and how proud of me he was. And that, that was a really special moment. So it's a great testament to your grandparents. I mean, your grandparents, I know, loved each other a lot and, and had a great marriage. And uh, and your grandfather is notorious for being always being positive, even in a, a, obviously a cataclysmic personal situation where um, your grandmother passed fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, she did. And uh, I'm sure it was not easy for him, but he tended he decided to focus on the positive things going on and help you focus on the positive thing. Yeah, yeah. And your grandfather passed about a year after that, right? 
Uh, he did. It was about a, a year and a month after that is when he passed. So I, w- I was able to spend another year with him, telling him about the trip. I remember when I got home, I then everything kind of settled down. I was able to show him a video that my, that Mitch had put together of the trip, and uh, he just he was in awe. It was about like a 30-minute video compilation of all the videos that we took and. He said, whoa, okay, that's great. So then we had dinner, and he goes, okay, I want to watch that again. <laughs> so we had everybody in the house come watch it as well. And well, I can imagine. So I mean, your grandfather was a, you know, a very busy human being with all the responsibility he had, you know, not only with Amway, but with your family of activities and other things that were going on. I'm guessing one of the things he would have loved to have done is actually circumnavigate the world himself. Uh, but, you know, but he had other priorities. Um, I was able to talk to him uh just about every month through facetime and my grandma knew how to use facetime on her ipad so she would use it on her ipad she'd throw it up to the apple tv in front of them so that i could see both of them oh how cool um and then i could talk to them and grandma actually liked my beard for the record (laughs) yeah i wrote it down in my journal i have evidence of this she literally said i like your beard i said grandma no you don't (laughs) she goes no i think it i think it fits what you're doing i go okay well that doesn't necessarily mean you like it that just means that i'm acting like a pirate so okay i should look like one it's the the, yeah why join the navy if you can be a pirate yeah Yeah, so it was it was really special to be able to share the trip with them that often that frequently in you know visually in person yeah uh, but when, when grandpa would go to the bathroom or something, yeah. uh, grandma would kind of lean in and go, okay, so tell me how it really is. Oh, wow. You know, t- tell me what's really going on. Uh, and so I, I really highly valued those, 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 conversations. Times, those conversations. So, I mean, I, I think it's amazing that you were able to connect to your grandparents and do it specifically through something that was so personal to both of them. I mean, your grandmother went on a lot of boat trips as well. She never knew how to swim. Did you know that? <laughs> I... I had heard that, Um, but it's amazing that she never knew how to swim, never learned to swim, but was, I mean, they went on boat trips all over the world. I mean, they... In the most remote places. Incredible. And she never knew how to swim. I mean, talk about courage. Yeah. That's real bravery. That's real bravery. Amazing, amazing bravery. Yeah. Uh, Well, they did so many things that... uh, I mean, shoot, if she can do that, then of course I can go into a bat cave. (laughs) Exactly. Right? Remember? (laughs) Be like grandma. Um, that's awesome. So, so tell me, I think, you know, pulling this together, tell me how you're applying these lessons you've learned in the work that you're doing now and, and where are you headed? I mean, you you've started at Amway mm-hmm. in digital and social, which is a big part of the future of the business. Yeah. Um, how are you applying these lessons at work and, and what, where do you want to end up? Well, what I really wanted to do after this trip and a lot of part, a large, large part of the plan that I came to my parents with, uh, before the trip, as I was pitching it was I want to go out and learn some things about myself. I want to go out and find out who I am when challenge strikes, right? Who I am when it's difficult, when I don't know how to get along with the people that I have to get along with, how can I run a small team, right. you know, or am I even effective in doing that? Yeah. Um, those, those are some of the things that I really wanted to learn. And the whole point to me, and I, I, ever since I can remember, I've always wanted to work at Amway. It's always been the thing that's been most near and dear to my heart. So it's uh, your family tri- it's a fa- enterprise, it's, right? Yeah. Exactly. There's a little bit of legacy there as well, but yep. it's, you know, a lot of legacy, it's just, right? uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't want to discount that as saying like, that's the only reason I'm, I'm working at the company. That's not, sure. you know, I'm, I'm, personally passionate about this business i think that it is the perfect embodiment of free enterprise and i love the impact and the possibilities that that can bring to anyone right um so i I, 
this business is so near and dear to my heart that I've just always wanted to be a part of it. Um, and the goal was to bring that back and say, okay, now I'm ready. Now I feel like I've, I've done something, you know, I, I've accomplished something that I can kind of bring back to the company and say, okay, you know, this is, this is what I've learned and this is where, um, this is where I can contribute. So, I mean, if you think about it, right, like I know that with the G3 program, we talked about that a little bit with, yeah. with, uh, your cousins, the Vanandals and Gabies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's outside things you need to do as well as things inside the company. If you want to have leadership, right. It seems like our roots are in adventure and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, and we tend to focus on doing things outside in business, but maybe doing things outside in adventure should have some weight as well. Yeah, maybe, you know, and, and, and maybe not. I mean, there's definitely some, some business attributes that I did not learn. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to dictate G3. Yeah, just, no, just, it's uh, just, uh, saying there's a lot of connection there. There yeah. is a lot of connection and there's, there's so much to be learned from any of these experiences. So I, I definitely learned a lot and, and you know, you're right there, there probably is going to be at, at some point in time, uh, a, a need and, and a requirement for me to, to, to go outside the business and gain some knowledge before, before coming back in in a more, uh, responsible role. Okay. But you know, uh, and I'm actually looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to what I can learn and bring back as well. So very similar to what I was able to learn on my trip that I was able to bring back. Another adventure. Yeah. Well, I, um, we're actually at your, your new home, which is beautiful by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice work. Um, and uh, I have to catch a flight out of Grand Rapids back to Southern California. But before I go, you know, I had Pat Parnell on, on uh, this podcast who is with Outside TV and does a lot of broadcasts right, in right. other adventure spaces. Yeah, he's incredible. And we were, thank you. And we were talking about a journey, uh, voyage that we're kind of cobbling together at this point, going from Iceland to Greenland to... You're talking about another adventure? Well, that's what we're, that's what we're thinking might be a good idea. Whoa, Wait, is that I, something you'd be interested in joining? Can I, can I come? <laughs> Channel my dad here. Can, can I come? Can I come? <laughs> you know, I, I think it might be an interesting opportunity. I tried to get you and Ben to come with me to, uh, to remote Indonesia on a surf trip, which, oh, yeah. which didn't work because your grandfather was sick at the time. Um, that would have been so fun. But uh, maybe, we can, maybe we can do a rain check and, and see if there's a voyage out in, uh, between Iceland and Greenland that makes sense. I'd love to make that work. Sounds cold, but, but, I'm, but I think I'm ready for it. We'll if I can do Antarctica, I think I can do that. <laughs> you can do that. We'll do it in a, on season when it's a little nicer too, I think. Okay, but, yeah, that sounds good. Well, Dalton, thank you very much for making time today. Thanks for, uh, for sharing your adventures with, uh, with the Kick Aspirational listeners. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to, yeah. to hear about, and uh, I can't wait to see where, where your adventures take you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, David. It's been absolutely a pleasure, so thank you. Yeah, no worries. So the Kick Aspirational podcast is not a spectator sport. Uh, we love to hear your questions, comments, concerns, and above all else, this week, please be Kick Aspirational. <laughs>